This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Plenty to talk about. Lots of baseball over the weekend. Uh, The Red Sox got healthy, but the Baltimore Orioles will do that to you. Uh, You know, anybody that's... uh, uh, struggling, you want to see the Orioles, the uh, the Diamondbacks, or the Rockies come to town. If you if you get one of those, uh, you're you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be pretty happy. So we'll talk about all that in a minute. Um, I am uh, a little out of sorts this morning. Um, I have managed to get poison ivy. Um, I have d- decided that poison ivy is the single most evil thing that God ever put on this earth. I'm one of those people where if there's poison ivy in the same zip code, I'm going to get it. And I don't know how I got this. Uh, the only thing I can theorize is there was something in my garden somewhere that I touched that I didn't know. And, uh, uh, I got it. I was out picking potatoes in my garden this weekend. And then the next day, my face is like swollen. And I have uh, poison ivy in places where you don't want poison ivy. I won't go any farther than that, just to say that it's very uncomfortable. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, I probably look like I have war paint on my face. <laughs> Uh, me and the calamine lotion. The problem is, is that some of this is close to one of my eyes and my left eye is actually kind of, uh, uh, starting to swell shut a little bit. I'll keep an eye on it. I know everybody's going to say, Oh, go to the doctor. Um, but I've had poison Ivy probably 50 times in my life. It's something that, you know, I mean, I've had it so bad a couple of times I had to go on steroids. Uh, I'm hoping this doesn't get to that case, but I just don't know how I got it. And, uh, my wife is actually away. Uh, for the uh, for the next three or four days, she's been out on Block Island uh, with uh, her best friend Anne, who's a listener of the show. Uh, they go out there every summer. Um, I uh, I don't like the beach, <laughs> so well, what the hell else are you going to do on Block Island? It's this little tiny island. It's what about five miles square, and hey, you know, pretty much you go to there to go to the beach and eat seafood. And I don't do either one of those things, so I don't go. So she's out there with her friend, and I said to her yesterday, I said, uh, I said, just be glad you're not here because you don't have to listen to me whine about poison ivy. She's hoping that it miraculously clears up before she gets home. Uh, but uh, just, just uh, I hate poison. It's just brutal. Anyway, all right, let's get <laughs> enough of my, uh, my woes. Let's get to the baseball over the weekend, and thank God for the Baltimore Orioles. You know, the Red Sox had lost 10 of the last 12 games, 
and then the Orioles come to town. The Red Sox sweep the Orioles. And not only that, they pick up two games on the Tampa Bay Rays in the meantime because the Minnesota Twins decided to wake up and win a series. And uh, they did that by taking two of three from Tampa. So the Sox now find themselves three back of the Rays. They are still two and a half ahead of the Yankees and four and a half ahead of the Jays. But a lot of good things happen this weekend. We can start, obviously, Chris Sale gets his first start in two years on Saturday. Um, Was he spectacular? No, I wouldn't say that. But if every time he goes out, he gives them what he gave them this week, and, and, and frankly, I suspect it's only going to get better from that. But if he gives them that, the Red Sox would sign up for that right now, and this team will be much better going forward. When you look at that rotation now led by Sale and led by uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, you look at uh, Eddie starting to look like the guy that we were expecting. And frankly, you know, after coming off the COVID diagnosis that he had last year, you have to figure that he would. But in his last seven starts, he has pitched to an ERA of 3.73, fewer hits than innings pitched. He has struck out 46 in 31 innings. You know, he is starting to do what we expected. What the Red Sox needed and so that is a great sign so you look at sale and erod and evaldi and you can flip-flop those many way you want uh tanner hauk who is now they uh alex cora said yesterday there's no more running up and down between worcester he is with the red sox for the duration he will take the ball every fifth day he becomes your number four or number five, again, depending on how you want to look at it. And Nick Pavetta, who has been great, pitched his fanny off again this weekend. And and I know it was the Orioles, but Pavetta continues to pitch well. And here we are, this Red Sox team, now all of a sudden there's room for optimism. Does it mean that the World Series is back on? No, I wouldn't go that far. But, you know, look, the Orioles are who the Orioles are. The Red Sox scored 16 runs on Saturday. They scored six more on uh, on Sunday. What did they score on Friday? I think they scored eight or nine on Friday. I mean, they just beat the ever-living tar out of them. J.D. Martinez's bat has uh, started to light up again. J.D. homered for the second straight game. J.D.'s last seven games, he's hitting four twenty nine. <laughs> you know, 12 for his last 28. We'll take that all day long. You know, uh, you know, look, over the last, you know, 15 games, you know, eh. You know, over the last 30 games, eh, hitting about 280. But he got off to such a blistering pace this year that nobody could expect him to continue that. But he's hitting 293 with 23 bombs and 79 runs batted in. That is more than acceptable. Rafi Devers 
continues to uh, drive runners in. 89 of them on the season now. And Kike Hernandez. Look, I'll I have I'll be the first to admit I have to give Alex Cora a lot of credit for sticking with Kike. I've said, you know, I, everybody was saying this guy doesn't belong at the top of the lineup. Except Kike Hernandez does nothing but hit now and and get on base. Not just hitting, he's walking. You know, and and here's the thing. He's still only hitting 255. X said this on the air the other day. He said, you know, the way Kike's been hitting, you're like shocked to see he's only hitting 255. That tells you how bad he was early. But over the last 30 games, Kike Hernandez is hitting 286 and he's got an on base percentage of 393. I'll take that from my leadoff hitter every day of the week. If you're getting on base 39% of the time as the leadoff hitter, your team is going to win a lot of games. Because you're setting the table. And he's getting extra base hits galore. You know, he just continues to to get on base. If he's not getting a big hit, he's walking. His last seven games, he's hitting 350. And he's not striking out a ton either. That's the thing that you love. In this day and age where guys are, are whiffing like crazy, over his last 30 games, he's striking out about once every nine at-bats. Hell, Bo Bichette from the Toronto Blue Jays struck out five times yesterday. You know, so when you look at what Kike is doing, you have to tip your cap and say this guy has been as good as we could have asked. You know, for the season, he struck out 83 times so far. But that's still about once every four four and a half times up in this day and age hell <laughs> that's that's a hall of famer <laughs> you know but again he's setting the table you know his on base percentage for the season is 340 but you know over the last as we said over the last 30 days he's been ridiculous so yesterday uh you know he gets on base twice more two more hits drives in a run um kyle schwarber Made his debut for the Red Sox on Friday. Walked a couple of times. Had a couple of doubles yesterday. So in his first two games in Boston, he's two for six. And he's been on base four out of eight times. And by the way, yesterday didn't strike out. You know, this is a guy that is able to uh, control the strike zone. Uh, and they're going to keep him at DH for the foreseeable future. I don't know how that's going to translate. It's probably going to mean that J.D. Martinez plays more in the outfield the way J.D.'s hitting right now. You can't take his bat out of the lineup. Um, so, you know, I don't know that they're ready to throw Schwarber in at first base yet. I'll, I'll tell you what, and here's a radical idea, and I know he hasn't played it in a while. But and, and they're not going to do it now because of the hamstring and the and the groin issues that he had. But I'll tell you what, I, I'd consider giving him a go at catcher every now and then. Christian Vasquez has just been pathetic at the plate. Now, he had a hit yesterday, but the hit he had was just kind of a, uh, you know, a little looper. You know, he kind of fooled us with, with a couple of good years. Now, granted, yesterday was a short season. Or, or last year was a short season, but 2019, you know, he teased us with that all of a sudden hitting the crap out of the ball. 
But now we're seeing more of the Christian Vasquez, I think, that we expected. So, you know, Alex Cora's got a lot of options. I don't think putting Schwarber a catcher is going to happen, but it's just it's it's an intriguing idea. Um, so, anyway, great weekend. Got to love the fact that, uh, that the Orioles are here, and you got to hate the fact that the Orioles are leaving. Uh, one move the Red Sox did make over the weekend, they claimed Travis Shaw off of waivers from Milwaukee, and he hasn't played since June 9th because he had a dislocated shoulder. They're putting him in uniform. He's going to be in uniform tomorrow night when they play the Yankees in a doubleheader. So, you know, they not only did they claim him, uh, they're going uh, to play him. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck's been hitting the ball well lately. But, you know, Bobby has trouble with right-handed batters. Now, it gives the Red Sox perhaps an option. Uh, instead of putting, uh, you know, Schwarber there right now, you've got an option of, of a left-handed hitting Travis Shaw perhaps playing against right-handed pitching. You know, I know Dahlbeck has been better lately. I mean, Bobby Dahlbeck over his last... Uh, 30 games has hit 265 over his last 15 he's hit 333 so you know he's picked it up got the average up to 230 but now Shaw gives them an opportunity to maybe platoon him a little bit he can also play third base if you want to give excuse me give Devers a day off Um, I just you know and maybe you could have you know Dahlbeck can play third base as well you know, so maybe, you know, you ha- you could have them both in the lineup at the same time, I suppose, you know, depending on how Cora wants to do, you know, how he wants to rest people. The question is, is what does Shaw have left? You know, I mean, uh, he came over in the Tyler Thornburg trade to Milwaukee, uh, which worked out great for Milwaukee for two years. Shaw hit 30 home runs two years in a row for them. And uh, since then, he has uh, been awful. You know, in 56 games this year with Milwaukee, he hit 191 with six homers and 28 runs batted in in 56 games. So uh, I don't know uh, if there's a lot left there. But what do you got to lose, right? I mean, you're paying him, you know, whatever he has, you know, the minimum salary because he cleared waivers. So uh, Milwaukee's on the hook for most of his salary. The Red Sox just have to pay the minimum. Uh, So anyway, the Sox will open up a series with the New York Yankees. A doubleheader on Tuesday. Um, and they are going to throw Tanner Houck and Nathan Avaldi in that doubleheader. Alex Cora doesn't know yet what you know who's gonna be what, but it doesn't really matter when you know when push comes to shove. But this is a big series coming up against the Yankees. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But, you know, with the Yankees just one game behind the Red Sox in the loss column, you know, the Red Sox could, at the end of this series, find themselves in third place, or they could find themselves in a position where they have buried the Yankees a little bit more, and then the Yankees are suddenly, if the Red Sox could sweep, they're suddenly four behind in the loss column. Now, do I expect that to happen? No. But if the Red Sox could take two out of three in this series, it would be huge. So it's a doubleheader on Tuesday, a single game on Wednesday. The Red Sox have two off days this week, which is great for that bullpen because they need it. They'll have uh, Monday off, and they'll have Thursday off. And uh, then they have home games, six games, actually nine games in a row 
against teams under 500 and against teams that you need to feast on. They have the Rangers at home for three. They have the Twins at home for three. And then they go to Cleveland for three. So after this Yankee series, the Red Sox have an opportunity to make some hay in those next nine games, and they need to take advantage of that because after that, they got the Tampa Bay Rays for a whole bunch. They play the Rays like six times in nine games after that next stretch. So the Sox are going to need to take advantage. Their schedule going down the stretch. Here's the good news for the Red Sox. They play the Orioles six more times in September. Matter of fact, uh, they close the season, I believe, against the Orioles. No, check that. They Well, no, they close it against the Nationals at the Nationals, which is even better because the Nationals are just hideous. But they have three with Baltimore at the end of September, and then the first three days of October, they play the Washington Nationals to close the season. So you've got six with the Orioles, three with the Nationals, to close the season. So you have an opportunity here, but you've got to start by taking two out of three from this Yankee team. You've got to. You've look, as the Red Sox look, they've they've already won the season series with the Yankees. They've got to continue to keep the pressure on this team. So we shall see how that works out. And they may be without out of Adam Adovino for that Tuesday doubleheader, perhaps Wednesday as well. We'll have to see. Uh if you saw it yesterday, Adovino took a shot off of his shoulder. Now, it's his non-throwing shoulder, but I guarantee you he is going to be sore as hell today. That he, that thing was drilled. So hopefully he's okay, but uh, he will probably miss that Yankee series, I would imagine. Uh, and I mentioned the fact that the, the Sox are back within three, and that's because the Rays beat, or excuse me, the Twins beat the Rays yesterday 5-4, to four, a sacrifice fly in the ninth inning by Jorge Polanco, the difference. Um... Luis Patino got the start for the race, wasn't very good, struggled with his command, uh, walked five guys in three innings. Now, didn't factor in the decision, obviously, because it went to the ninth inning. Um, but uh, the Rays' bullpen tried to keep them in it after Ryan Sheriff. They brought Patino to start three innings, and they said he walked five guys. Then they bring Sheriff in. He walked a couple of more. Now, after that, the Rays' bullpen settled down and uh, they end up winning it, uh, the, the uh, Twins do, in the ninth inning. But, uh, look, Minnesota, all of a sudden, look, they're not, they're not getting in the race, but this is a Minnesota team that uh, is now 14 games under 500. This is a team that was, you know, 20-plus games under 500. Now has won 7 of 10. They recently took a series from the Chicago White Sox. I mean, all of a sudden, this team is starting to beat people uh, and do things that a lot of folks thought that they would do early in the season. So uh, it's their third straight series win all against first-place teams. They took three out of four at Houston uh, and uh, two out of three from the White Sox and now two out of three from the Rays. So as I said, the Red Sox are going to play the Twins and they need to make hay against them, but this Twins team is starting to believe in itself a little bit despite the fact they traded off Nelson Cruz and Jose Barrios. Uh, they are now out of the cellar in the American League Central and uh, playing very, very well. Tampa now gets to take on the Orioles, which, by the way, is another one of the reasons why the Red Sox need to make uh, some hay against the Yankees. Uh, Matt Harvey is going to pitch for the Orioles against the Rays tonight. It's a four-game series starting tonight. Uh, so 
look, if the Rays duplicate what the Red Sox did, the Red Sox are going to have trouble keeping pace. You know, the Red Sox schedule a little bit tougher uh, this week, so we'll see. Uh, Minnesota starts a homestand uh, or continues their homestand, I should say, with a three-game series against the Cleveland Indians. Uh, the Yankees beat the White Sox 5-3. to three. So the only game the Yankees lost in this series was the first one in the Field of Dreams game out in Iowa. But Rudnett Odor, a two-run home run. Uh, Nestor Cortez, six innings. Um, and uh, it's Cortez's first win since 2019, by the way. But he's been pretty good. I mean, this kid's uh, six innings, seven hits, just one run. He struck out seven. He's got an ERA at 2.55. New York has now won 10 of its last 11 series. They are a season-high 13 games over 500. You know, everybody was ready to bury the Yankees when they were a game over 500. July 3rd, Aaron Boone said, I'm not worried about this team. We're going to be fine. And uh, guess what? <laughs> uh, they're 24-12 and 12 since July 3rd. So uh, as far as the White Sox go, uh, look, you know, that race is over, but the Yankees owned the White Sox in the season series. The Yankees won five of the six games against Chicago this season, which if, look, if they face each other in the postseason, that obviously you would think gives the Yankees, you know, a leg up, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're not going to be afraid of this nasty Chicago White Sox team. And I'll tell you what, the other thing, if you're Tony La Russa, you know, you got to start taking a look at that bullpen and wondering, you know, now that they got uh, uh, Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell at the back end, you're thinking, you know, that's great. Except that two of the three games against the Yankees this weekend, Liam Hendricks got lit up. You know, so if you're Tony La Russa and, again, you get into the postseason, you've got to be thinking, maybe I don't want Liam Hendricks to face the New York Yankees, you know, I, you know, believe it or not. I mean, the guy who's been the best closer in baseball the last couple of years, um, has, uh, has struggled against the Yankees and struggled mightily. So that is where we're at as far as uh, the American league East goes. Oh, wait, one more other game. Uh, the blue Jays beat the Mariners eight to three. The blue Jays actually sweep that series. And uh, this is a Mariners team that, you know, was in the wild card race and was trying to stay in the wild card race. They took a that took a big hit this weekend. Teoscar Hernandez stays hot. Uh, he and Randall Gritchick both hit home runs in the second inning, and uh, uh, the Jays hit a couple of more, and they end up with the eight to three victory. Uh, Steven Match lasted just five innings, but uh, the offense bailed him out. He picked up his tenth win of the season. Five innings, three hits one run and it was an unearned run he did walk three guys his pitch count got really high he was up to 95 pitches after five innings that's why he didn't last very long uh and if you're the jays you're thrilled that you win that game because the jays are going to be without george springer now they don't know for how long but he sprained an ankle saturday night in the seventh inning now charlie montoyo the manager said that he felt better yesterday they've got an off day today you know maybe he'll play against the nationals on Tuesday, but frankly, I don't think the Jays need him to play against the Nationals. They could probably beat the Nationals without him, so maybe they give him an extra day's of rest. But you know, George Springer uh, has been a has been the hottest hitter on that team lately, and uh, George Springer's problem for most of his career 
has been staying on the field, a guy that gets hurt a lot, kind of like Fernando Tatis of the San Diego Padres. You know, I'm a big George Springer fan, a kid from New Britain, Connecticut. I watched his entire college career at UConn. Uh, I watched it up close and personal when I was uh, working at Sacred Heart University and watched he and uh, Matt Barnes and uh, Mike Olt and uh, Nick Ahmed. I mean, I'll tell you what, some of the players that UConn ran out there while I was uh, I was working at Sacred Heart was unbelievable, and they all well with the exception of Mike Olt, they all had major league careers. Olt never never quite made it, but uh, that there's been a that UConn program uh, has put a lot of pros in the major leagues, and I, I think that uh, it is underrated because it's in the Northeast. Northeast college baseball doesn't get the credit that uh, uh, other programs around the country do, and some of that's because you know of the weather. You can't play as many games. You you know you play the first part of your season on the road, which means you're probably playing better teams, and you know it's tough to, to you don't put up these gaudy records because you know you have to travel. So anyway, uh, we are going to move on to the National League West after we take a break. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Monday morning, the 16th day of August. We're already midway through August. We've got about a month left to the summer. I swear to God, the older I get, the faster time seems to go. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way, but it it's it's crazy it seems like i was just just planting my garden and now the uh, growing season is uh, rapidly drawing to a close it's unreal um, hey by the way i saw this great tweet this morning and i actually uh, i retweeted it in uh uh <laughs> with what's going on in afghanistan and look let, let's make no mistake it's it's absolutely horrific what's going on but you knew as soon as we pulled out of afghanistan there was no question that the Taliban were going to move in, and you knew they were going to move in fast. There is no doubt. Anybody that thought the Afghan troops, like, like Joe Biden and his people say, oh, you know, the Afghan troops, we trained them, they're going to stay. No, you knew there was no way they were going to stay and stand in there against the Taliban. You just knew it. It's easy to be brave when you got the biggest guy in the neighborhood that's got your back. But as soon as that guy moves away and you're left on your own, all of a sudden you're not so brave anymore. And that's exactly what happened with the Afghan troops. And there's, I mean, anybody that really believed that was deluding themselves. So it's terrible. But at the same time, and, and, uh, you know, everybody's like, well, this will be, you know, this is going to be like the LBJ or the, you know, the, you know, pulling out of Saigon, you know, when Richard Nixon did it, and it's just not a good look, and it's going to be a stain on Biden's presidency. Uh, look, let's remember one thing. Joe Biden wanted us out of Afghanistan. There is no question about that. But let's also remember that this was all begun when Donald Trump was president. Donald Trump was the one that started getting us out of, of Afghanistan. He was bringing people home long before Joe Biden was. Uh, you know, so let's remember that this wasn't just Joe Biden's idea. Joe Biden just finished the job. But how, I mean, look, we've been there for 20 years. How long were we going to stay there? It's somebody else's civil war, and we're in the middle of it. What are we supposed to do? You know, how many more Americans have to die in Afghanistan for somebody else's civil war? And look, here's the deal. You know, and, and, I, and I get that the Afghans are, are scared. You know, and the women, what the way the Taliban treats women and children is just horrific. 
And I get that the, the population in Afghanistan is scared. But here's the thing, folks. It's their problem. It's their civil war. If they want to fix this as the Afghan people, if the Afghan people really want to fix this, they could find a way. They can rise up and they can make it stop. Yes, I know the Taliban's got a lot of guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, if the population wants this to change, it can change. But they have to do it themselves. How many more Americans need to die there? So, you know, that's just my opinion. And I'm no expert. But what made me laugh this morning, I was on Facebook or on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was that tweeted this out, but it said, and just like that, all the infectious disease experts on Twitter became military strategists. And if that ain't the truth about social media, I don't know what is. You know, everybody in the, you know, during the pandemic, oh, you know, everybody's an expert on on uh, why we should wear masks, why we should get vaccines, why we should do this, why we shouldn't do that. Everybody's an expert. And as soon as something else pops up, now everybody's an expert on military strategy. <laughs> it's, it's just that social media in a nutshell. Abs I laughed out loud when I read that this morning because it is so true. So true. All right. Uh, enough of the political commentary. Let's get back to baseball. Um the National League West. Uh, you know, here's the thing. The, the Dodgers drilled the Mets yesterday, 14-4. to four. They swept the three-game series, two of the games they win in extra innings. It was a great series. The first two games were great baseball. Uh, yesterday, not so much. Uh, Max Scherzer was, uh, you know, okay. Went six innings. You know, he gave up... Uh, uh, you know, gave up a couple of runs, but struck out seven, four hits, picked up his 10th win of the season, threw 94 pitches, so he wasn't going to go any deeper. Uh, Carlos Carrasco was awful. Six runs, six hits in two innings. The bullpen, you know, it didn't matter who they threw out there. It got so bad they had to throw out Brandon Drury and Kevin Pillar in the ninth inning just to try to get out of the damn thing. And the Mets had some opportunities, but they couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. The Mets had opportunities in the first two innings when the, the Dodgers made some miscues in the field. And the Mets did not capitalize. So instead of, you know, it being a close game, they're down 6 nothing after two. The Mets were 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position last night. 0 for 12. They finished the three-game series three for 30 with runners in scoring position. I don't care if you're playing the Helen Keller School for the Blind. If you go three for 30 with runners in scoring position, you're going to have a hard time winning anything. So the Mets, who were in first place for such a long time, all of a sudden can't get out of their own way have lost seven of ten, three in a row, and now are two and a half back. How about the Atlanta Braves in the, Ameri the National League East? They've won eight of ten. They're back in, they're in first place, and they're looking like no Ronald Lacuna Jr.? No problem. But how about if you're the Dodgers? How disconcerting 
must it be for the Dodgers? Since they made the trade at the, uh, at the deadline to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner from the Washington Nationals, they're 10-4. and four. It's pretty good. Guess what? They've actually lost a game in the standings to the San Francisco Giants despite the fact that they have won 10 of the last 14 games. Why? Because the Giants just refuse to lose. The Giants have been just as hot. They take the series over the weekend, uh, and they have a, a, a well, actually it's a four, it's a five games in the loss column, but a four-game lead in the standings. If, look, you know, if you're the Dodgers, you got to be shaking your head. You got it, and everybody's been waiting for the Giants to come back down to earth, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, the Dodgers start a series uh, at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates today. Again, they're really happy about that because it'll allow them to stay hot. The Mets now have to go play at the Giants. Rich Hill's going to get the start for the Mets against the Giants. Um. Before the game yesterday, I think it was on Saturday, Noah Syndergaard, who was on the disabled list, you know, waiting to come back from his Tommy John surgery, you know, spoke out to the media and uh, and and put it on uh, his social media page and basically said, Whose effing idea was it to change tomorrow's game to a night game when we're traveling to the West Coast afterwards? The game yesterday between the Mets and the Dodgers was supposed to be at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, ESPN flexed its muscles and moved the game to 7 o'clock at night so it could be their Sunday night showcase game. And... They have the right to do that under their contract, their their media rights contract with Major League Baseball. But Noah Syndergaard is right. Now, at the same time, you can say, well, these guys are making millions of dollars. Shut the hell up. But it is unfair for the Mets. And not, not only that, this game took forever last night. It wasn't like this game was over in two hours and 15 minutes, right? The game didn't start. The first pitch wasn't until like 7.15. The game took three hours and 48 minutes. It was 11 o'clock at night before the game ended. By the time the Mets are able to get out of the locker room and get to the airport to fly out, it was like 1, 2 in the morning. And then you got to fly cross-country, cross three time zones, and then play a game on Monday night in San Francisco against a first-place team, and, and not, not to mention the fact that the Mets have lost 10 of the last 15 games, which doesn't help. But Syndergaard has a point. And, you know, I, I get where ESPN obviously wants to put a big game on their Sunday night game. I get it. You know, it's their it's their big thing of the week. I get it. But th- there has to be some common sense here. And there was no common sense when it came to this. 
Pick, you know, pick a game where it's one time zone. For instance, why didn't they take the Yankees and White Sox from last night or from yesterday afternoon and play that at night? It's one time zone. You're not asking somebody to go all the way across the country. You know, that would have been a, a better choice. You know, or take, uh, you know, I don't know, take a game from the, the West Coast, maybe the athletics game, you know, uh, but somebody that's not traveling across the country. There were other games out there. So, uh, you know, Syndergaard's right. Uh, I'll give him that, you know. And I'm the first one to jump on, you know, players when they when they want to sound like prima donnas. But this is just, it was just a common sense thing and and Major League Baseball allowing ESPN to do that. And ESPN doing that just shows that they just don't care. Just, you know, I mean, it just, and and by the way, you know, there was some talk that he, that ESPN was involved with trying with the Texas and Oklahoma thing, getting them into the SEC. And that if you think that they weren't involved in that at all, you're naive. You know, and ESPN can swear up and down they weren't behind any of that. If they weren't lobbying for it, if you think they weren't, you're naive. You know, ESPN has, uh, you know, ever, actually, not just ESPN, and I don't want to pick on just ESPN. The networks have too much power when it comes to scheduling. You know, the fact that the NFL can uh, allow games to be switched for Monday night football or for Sunday night football, just so that uh, it can be a better game. It's just not right. The schedule is the schedule and the network should have to work around the schedule. You're paying the right for to broadcast a game, not to dictate who plays when just my personal opinion. It's uh, 46 minutes past. Yeah. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on sports country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. A few minutes left this morning. A uh, quick note, no show tomorrow. Uh, I've got uh, <laughs> moving companies coming uh, to give us some estimates, so I've got to uh, shepherd them through the house and stuff. So uh, no show tomorrow. We will be here on Wednesday, however. Uh, a couple other games to talk about last night. The As we said, the Giants just keep on rolling. They beat the Rockies yesterday 5-2. Uh, to two. Tommy LaStella, uh, three hits, a couple of runs, batted in. Um, this Giants team is just crazy. Uh, honest to God, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, Kurt Casale, his uh with an RBI double in this game, uh, a guy that uh, basically got picked up off the scrap heap, and uh, every time he needs to step in for uh, uh, Buster Posey, it seems like he has a big hit. Uh, Alex Wood, strong start yesterday, picked up his 10th win of the season, went into the seventh inning, six and two-thirds inning, six hits, uh, just a couple of runs. Uh, John Gray continues to struggle for the Rockies. That's the third straight outing that uh, he has not gotten out of the fifth inning. Uh, went four and a third yesterday, seven hits, three runs. Um, but uh, the Giants now 76 victories. Se- 76, unreal. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things about Wood, he's got the 10 wins, but the best thing about Wood, you know, the definition of a stopper in your rotation is a guy that after your team loses can step in and pitch well enough to help your team get a victory. 
Alex Wood, in games that he has pitched after the Giants have lost, the Giants are 11-0. and And not only that, he generally pitches deep into games after a loss to give that bullpen a rest. I mean, he has been uh, phenomenal. Uh, so as I said, the Giants now with the uh, series against the Mets. Kevin Gaussman. See, that's the other thing about the Mets, right? They they got to play till 11 o'clock last night, fly across the country, and then they get to face Kevin Gaussman, who is 11-5 and five with a 2.29 ERA. Uh, yeesh. So good luck with that one. Uh, the Padres win yesterday 8-2, to two, but it wasn't necessarily the Padre victory that's the story. The story was, of course, Fernando Tatis Jr., who returned from the injured list you know, with that uh, bad shoulder. The Padres did, as had been rumored, they moved him to the outfield. Tatis played right field, didn't have any tough chances out there, a few routine fly balls that, that he handled very easily. But Tatis does what he does. Of course, he comes back, and what does he do? Two bombs. He hits one in the third and one in the fifth. Also chips in a couple of more hits, drives in four, and here we go. I mean, look, there was no question, you know, the Padres have been struggling mightily. The fact that Tatis has not been in that lineup is a big reason for that. You know, they made some moves at the trade deadline, bringing over Adam Frazier, and, you know, they have been, uh, they've done everything that they can do, but not having Tatis in the lineup is, has just been huge. Um, so eight runs on 11 hits for San Diego. It was a bullpen game. Craig Stamen started to pitch the first couple, and then uh, six other relievers finish it off. And uh, an easy victory for the Padres yesterday. And uh, now the Padres get to go to Colorado. Now, look, the Padres are still 10 games back of the Giants. So at this point, I think we have to acknowledge they are not going to catch the Giants. And they are not going to catch the Dodgers. They are six games behind the Dodgers. But what they have to worry about right now is the Cincinnati Reds. The Padres at 67 and 53 are just two and a half games ahead of of the Reds for the second wild card position. The Reds won again yesterday. They beat the Phillies 7-4. to Jonathan India, a uh, home run in this game, scored three runs. India's probably going to be the rookie of the year in the National League. Uh, he has uh, had a great season. He's hitting two eighty, And uh, his home run yesterday, his 15th of the season, uh, he's driven in uh, 50 and uh, he led the charge yesterday as uh, the Reds cooled off the red-hot Phillies. Uh, Aaron Nola, another poor start for the Phillies. His ERA is up to 4.5 and now, and his record fell to 7-7. Seven and seven. Sonny Gray wasn't great starting for the Reds, but the bullpen did a great job. And uh, Lucas Sims picks up the win in relief. Michael Givens, his third save of the season. So um, the Reds... Right on the trail of the San Diego Padres. Now the Reds start a seven-game homestand tonight, and they get to play the Chicago Cubs. So if you're the Padres, your margin for error is very, very slim. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Wednesday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Jimmy Allen and Brad Paisley. Freedom was a highway. Have a great day. We'll see you on Wednesday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.